0: Martin's now going to give us um, his word, and so we'll just pray for Martin. Father, we just pray for Martin as he brings us this word this morning, and we pray for your Holy Spirit to really work through him, so that the words he brings are the words that you want to give to us this morning. May they live in our hearts, and may they make changes in us. Father, we pray your anointing upon his lips as he speaks the words. Amen. Amen. So, um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Martin Saunders, I'm the vicar of this place, uh, and it's a delight to be here to talk, to um, help us to think about God's calling to us today. and. Um Uh, As churches often do, we're working through a series of sermons at the moment, um, and uh, the overall title is around connected hearts. So, how can we, as people, um, uh, as as God's creation, be better connected to God? And today we're talking about the place of sacrifice, um, and don't worry, we're not into child sacrifice anymore. um, So, and actually, they never were in the Old Testament either. um, So, it's all safe. But we are going to start by looking a little bit about the place of sacrifice in the Old Testament and then move to what happens in the New uh, and then to to thinking about us as individuals, how we call to live, um, given this whole concept of sacrifice. So that's where we're going. So uh, in the Old Testament, uh, we... um, most often, I think, think of sacrifice in terms of animals um, that lo- lose their lives as a way of showing an atonement for sins, for um, those times when we lived as if God doesn't exist, that rebellion against God, um, and the sins of individual humans. So, uh, for example... Uh, one of the, the books of laws, Leviticus uh, reads like this, uh, this is chapter 5 of Leviticus when anyone becomes aware that they are guilty of any of these matters and that's reference to the previous couple of paragraphs that I won't bore you with but they must confess in what way they have sinned as a penalty for the, law, uh, for the sin they have committed they must bring to the laws a female lamb or goat from the flock as a sin offering and the priest shall make atonement for them for their sin Anyone who cannot afford a lamb is to bring two doves or two young pigeons to the Lord as a penalty for their sin. One is a sin offering and the other is a burnt offering. Now, uh, clearly, uh, quite the connection between the death of an animal and our saying sorry to God um, is rather opaque to many of us. Because actually, we don't do that anymore, but that's the way the system was set up. That if somebody sinned and they wanted to say sorry for what they had done, they went and they offered an animal as a way of showing something about their, um, their, their confession, their, the way that they wanted to restore that relationship with God again. Now, that's not the only way that sacrifice happened. There was, There is talk in the Old Testament too of, of sacrifices as part of the regular worship of God. So um, for example, uh, X29, we have it that... This is when the people were still in the wilderness. Uh, the um, It says, uh, verse 38, yeah, to offer on the altar regularly each day two lambs a year old. Offer one in the morning, one at twilight, when the first lamb, um, with the first lamb, so offer um, one and a half kilos of the fine flour mixed with a litre of oil and a litre of wine as a drink offering, and sacrifice the other lamb at twilight with the same grain offering as a drink offering. This is a pleasing aroma, a, a food offering presented to the Lord. Now, again, we're a little bit lost in our culture to go, why is it that a lamb roasting brings some kind of pleasing aroma to God? Except, of course, when we go home and smell the oven on a Sunday lunchtime and you go, oh, I like that smell. If, of course, you're a vegetarian, so apologies if you are. um... um uh, but, but still, the, the connection is a little bit hard for us to follow. But thankfully, we don't need to follow it today. Um, and even back in the Old Testament, there's, there's a sort of ambivalence about sacrifices for sin. So, for example, King David, um, you know, Israel's greatest king... Um, wrote a a particular psalm, Psalm 51, uh, and we're told at the start of the psalm that this was written when David acknowledged his guilt in committing adultery with Bathsheba. Um, Now, if you've been around churches, you'll no doubt have been taught this in Sunday school, at least, you know, well, maybe not actually. Mm. Well, who knows anyway. But you know, David was a king, he was supposed to get to war, he didn't. He looked out across from his palace on the top of the hill and went, Wow, she's beautiful, um, I'll sleep with her. Um, and then he had her husband killed. And then, inevitably in these stories, you know, a, a prophet turns up and says, Hey, David, come on, come on, really, do you have to do it that way? Um, and so then David acknowledges his guilt. And this is what he says at part of verse 17 of Psalm 51. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. So that sense that actually it's about the matter of the heart. It's about our attitudes, our thinking, our response to God that is really important. And particularly towards the end of the Old Testament, when the temple sacrificial system wasn't available to them and therefore wasn't as central, there is a sense of attitudes that really matter. So, for example, Hosea chapter 6, where it was like this um, uh, basically, um, this is on the lips of God, he's a bit having a moan about some of the people. What am I going to do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? You're know, like the morning mist, like the only Jew that disappears. And then he goes on. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So again, that sense that actually sacrifices is actually partly something to do with the individuals and that heart condition. So, summary so far. Old Testament, use of sacrifices for animals, the atonement of sin and for worship. But still there's that recognition that something about the transformation of the heart... ...of attitudes and actions... ...and if you like, the calling is more... ...as it were to not going wrong in the first place... ...rather than saying sorry when they did... ...it's an echo then of that thing about... ...be holy, says God, because I am holy... ...it's a call to a lifestyle... ...now, when it comes to the New Testament... Um, ...Jesus is obviously the, the main figure of the New Testament... ...and Jesus comes as the Messiah... Um, the, ...the one who, who saves us... ...and... Uh, the, the, the early church kind of looked back on that um, life of Jesus, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and began to make sense of it in terms of sacrifice. So, uh, and the way it's, it's understood is that Jesus, being fully God, therefore couldn't sin. Now, let me explain that a little bit more. We think of sin as putting I at the centre of, if you like, my desires greater than God's desires. So, we might think of that as rebellion against God. But if Jesus was God, he couldn't rebel against himself. So, by definition, you can't have Jesus sinning. So, that's, that's kind of where, where you're at with that one, about, about sin, because uh, he can't rebel against himself. But if Jesus is also fully God but also fully man, that makes Jesus actually far more appropriate as, a, as an appropriate sacrifice for taking the consequences of our own rebellion. Whereas a lamb or a goat or some doves or pigeons were, as it were, accepted in passing, the reality was that Jesus is the one, because he gave himself up for us, that means that we're able to be restored to a right relationship with God. So let me read you, it's a slightly technical passage, but it's in Hebrews 9, and um, 24 onwards. Let me read you a little bit of this. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands, that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Equally, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, The way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that's not his own. Otherwise Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So, if the element of sacrifice as atonement for sin is dealt with by Jesus, and actually that's an amazing story in itself, but let's press on. What's left for us? in these days, is the element of sacrifice as worship. Sacrifice as worship. Um, Classically, it's Romans 12 that puts it uh, in the most boldest terms. Romans 12 verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... So that is his forgiveness towards us. Two, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the passage goes on. And of course, to do that justice, we need to think about what the therefore is there for, and the previous 11 chapters of Romans. But, but, But the summary of because of God's mercy... We're urged to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. That is our true and proper worship. And I think when we begin to understand and recognize that nature of God's love, then it can't stay one sided. As we recognize God's love in allowing Jesus to die so that we don't have to spiritually, so of course we respond to that love of God our sacrifice then is on account of a growing love for God rather than just duty if you like the book of Ephesians the the letter that was written to the church at Ephesus and surroundings runs like this in chapter 5 follow God's example as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us And gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So that sense in which we are sort of emulating Jesus. And if you think about Jesus for a moment, he gave up, he sacrificed if you like, the possibility of permanent housing. In order to have a travelling ministry. He sacrificed the possibility of family in order to be free. To have that kind of... Of, of, of ministry. He, he, he worked when he was tired. He um, was willing to keep on giving out even when, frankly, he probably didn't want to. And even on a human level, sacrifice made from a place of love is much easier to make. So, for a moment, think with me about marriage, weddings managed to take a wedding yesterday, and I'm reminded again of what the, the words that are said around the giving of a ring. And um, the, the, the Anglican words are these, um, so the, the pre-written liturgy. I give you this ring as a sign of our marriage. With my body I honour you. All that I am, I give to you. So my whole personality, the husband is choosing to give to the wife and the wife to the husband... And all that I have, that's all my stuff, I share with you, within the love of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And that's the words that are said around that giving and receiving of a ring at a wedding. But notice that sense of sacrifice. I am giving away myself to the other person, partner, in a marriage. think too about baptism you've come for baptism you've if you've come to because of the baptism then clearly you've given up options to do something else today out of your love for the family and mum and dad you'll soon be promising to bring up Harry within the church and in the Christian environment with in a Christian environment at home and that shared journey of faith is something which takes a certain amount of sacrifice, of putting aside my preferences and other possibilities in order to work that walk that journey of discovery of the fullness of God's love together as a family. He's fine, don't worry. Now here's a quote for you from the business world Stephen Covey wrote this you have to decide what your highest priorities are and have the courage pleasantly smilingly, non-apologetically to say no to other things and the way you do that is by having a bigger yes burning inside you the enemy of the best is often the good, now that's a Businessman Stephen Covey, American educator, author, uh, keynote speaker, wrote that book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But actually it challenges me to say, what is the bigger yes burning within us? Is it actually a response to God's love? And yes, your story might not be so dramatic as Jesus, as the saviour of the world, but it's still your story, your life, your life which you will be accountable for at the end of, the, of time, at the end, end of your life. So sacrifice then about, is, it, is effectively around giving up something valued for the sake of other considerations. Or in Stephen Covey's terms, actually choosing... To go with your understanding of the bigger yes burning inside you. Now, sacrifice perhaps doesn't work for you as a word. Maybe we want to talk about generosity of heart. That's a phrase that came up in last week's church council, time away. Or perhaps you might want to talk about an open-handed approach to life, rather than a closed-handed approach. So, rather than saying, mine, and then sort of God prizing stuff and time out of your control... Instead of that closed-handed approach, perhaps we could be more open-handed and say, God, you've given me everything. My health, my wealth, my brain, my abilities, my very breath. Thank you. Now, uh, how do you want me to use that today and every day? It echoes something of what we read in the Old Testament, um, there's a particular passage in 1 Chronicles 29 where, where Day- King David, again, is giving thanks to God for the generosity of the people in providing resources for building the temple. Uh, and he's, you know, so many tons of gold is given and so many tons of earrings and so many this and that and the other. And his, part of his prayer is this. Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? For everything comes from you and we have only given you what comes from your hand. So that recognition that everything we have is God's and given by God because frankly you can't take it with you but that's a different story but everything we have is given to us by God and it's out of that kind of thinking that we wouldn't then be thinking, am I giving a tithe, to use classic Pentecostal terms, but more, how can I use all that I have to see God's kingdom grow? That response to God is greater than a sort of spiritual income tax, or even a wealth tax. It's about saying, I have housing, I have breath, I have energy, I have these skills, so let me use them all to God's glory, God's and the furtherance of his kingdom. if as a community of Christ followers we really got this, then I think it would mean that we would be running waiting lists of people wanting to volunteer in Crash, in PJ Gang, in Pathfinders, in Link, rather than an individual limiting their commitment to helping with a sort of faintly grudging once a month, but preferably less, please, kind of statement. So we as a corporate community would be then being able to ask God, how can we bless this local community out of the abundance of the resources that, w- that you've given us and that God's people have pulled in order to do that? We'd be asking all the schools in our area for permission to be involved in the lives of their children, to take assemblies, to take after school clubs. As individuals, we'd be sacrificing our free time and investing in neighbours and friends, finding that people are discovering a God who breaks in, who disrupts lives on account of our investment of time, friendship, energy, money. We'd see small alpha courses popping up everywhere. And by the way, the new alpha films are available for free on YouTube. So you can settle down with a friend and an internet connection and watch them whenever, wherever you want I think that is amazing and an amazing gift to the possibility of all of us being people who say let's talk about this God who loves us now if you come for the baptism then please come back again now that you've discovered us if you haven't discovered God's ways yet then please don't lose this opportunity to discover hope to discover meaning to discover purpose in life Say your yes to God and tell Him you want to do life with Him involved at the centre, and thus know for sure that you'll spend eternity with God because that starts when we say yes to God. So if you want a one sentence summary, it's got to be Romans 12. I urge you, in view of God's mercy, To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your true and proper worship. Let's take it over to pray, friends. Father, thank you for your amazing love to us. We ask that you would help us to understand the depth of your love understand what it means that you offer us forgiveness for all of our rebellion against you, both past and present and future. That you offer us adoption into your family. Thank you that you offer us certainty about the future. And I ask that you would help us to respond more rightly to your love to us. That we would be able to contemplate your love for us and in doing so live our lives in response to that. That we might understand what true and proper worship might be out of love. Amen.